Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Optive Theology Podcast. My name is Andy Schmidt. I'm here with Pastor Nick Gibson. Hello, everyone. We're back. Um, We are doing a podcast on hierarchy called Is Hierarchy Tyranny? And this is a popular question right now. I think it's something that a lot of people my age, younger people are trying to figure out. uh, What is hierarchy? Is it wrong? Is it good? Is it natural? Is it unnatural? Where and and yeah, and so how should Christians interact with hierarchy and hierarchical structures and things like that? So I think this will be an interesting podcast. We can get started by just defining hierarchy. So Nick, do you want to kind of start us off there and we can move forward from that? Sure. So uh, the basis for this podcast I've taken from a book by C.S. Lewis called A Preface to Paradise Lost. And um, it's probably the shortest explanation of what was understood about human arrangements for, I don't know, somewhere between five to 20,000 years on planet Earth. Um, okay. and, and they were corrupter, more corrupt versions, less corrupt versions, clearer versions, more opaque versions, mm-hmm. right, all the way through. But But basically up until the critical period, um, this is basically how people thought reality functioned, right? The word hierarchy just simply means a ranked order of persons or things. Mm. So not everything is the same as everything else. And usually yeah. the language that was used within hierarchy was um, was that of superiors and inferiors. And it didn't mean it in the holistic sense of like, if if I'm somebody's inferior, I'm worse than them in every possible way. Mm-hmm. It just means in the in whatever we are unequal in, they are my superior and I am their inferior, right? So mm-hmm. when I played basketball, everybody I was playing basketball with just about was either my superior or my inferior. Mm-hmm. And so when I would get on a basketball team of the five, the five people I was playing with, I, in my mind, mm-hmm. recognized who was better than me, who wasn't, and in what ways. Mm-hmm. And then I ordered how I played the game relative to who was my superior and who was my inferior. And I noticed that they did too. Mm-hmm. And the better that was done, the better we did as a team. Yeah. Does that make yeah, sense? On the, on, yeah. On the contrary, when I play basketball, I realize that everybody is my inferior. And so I don't need to worry about anybody being my superior. So, yeah, of I course, that's, that's where true. you were. I thought that's where you were going to go with that. I thought you're going to go yeah. into it. I thought you're going to make a joke, but but you didn't. Oh, so I made no. It. But like, that's the, that's the idea, right? That, and like yeah. to the extent to which that natural hierarchy, mm-hmm. every, like the people who were inferior naturally submitted to the superior person because everybody wants to win the game. Yeah. Right. right. And so because everybody has a shared goal and everybody gets a share in that goal, if it's achieved, Mm -hmm. people say, "Okay, I'm not a great shooter. I'm a better rebounder. I'm going to focus on that. I'm going to let Andy shoot more. I'm going to let this person shoot from that position. This person is going to bring up the ball because they're better at it. Right. They're my superior in this thing. And I am the inferior. And recognizing that and living in accordance with it would have been considered part of holiness or part of like living in right relationship with reality. Yeah. Hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. It's so um, both in the Judeo-Christian ethic of the Bible, and also in the in the Greek Greco-Roman history, some version of this idea was recognized, and that's really what formed all of Western society. So yeah. all of Western society until the critical period basically had this idea that we all have inferiors and superiors in our life in various ways and in lots of different contexts, mm-hmm. and living correctly means recognizing that the way it really is, which would be humility, mm-hmm. and then living in relationship to those dynamics, not just horizontally, egalitarianly, mm-hmm. but vertically, 
in terms of who are our superiors and inferiors. What do yeah. we owe to our superiors in obedience and inferiors in terms of leadership? Mm-hmm. Right. And I authority. think I think this is this is a really really big point, and it's the perfect place to start because I think about when I was growing up. Um, it was. I had a really difficult time understanding people and relationships around me because I felt like I was in a, my peers and the teachers and the people that I grew up around philosophically were egalitarian, but then (laughs) practically and functionally, everybody lived within a hierarchy. And so it was really difficult for me to understand this. And then, and up until even like last year, really, when I read this book called The Right Side of History, it's by Ben Shapiro, but um, and it's just a history from Aristotle, Judeo-Christian, Western, Judeo-Christian values and Aristotle's philosophies, how to, to getting to the United States and the founding of America and all these things. It just kind of was like, here's how it all came to be. And it kind of cleared a lot of things up for me in my head because I was, I was really confused. Why, why does everybody say they believe this philosophically, but then they live a completely different way from that. And and so yeah. I think we're going to get into that. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Lewis is really good at concision, like saying things in like few words, but still making it clear. Mm-hmm. So let me read the way he defines this on page 74 of A Preface to Paradise Lost. He says, everything except God has some natural superior and everything except unformed matter has some natural inferior. The goodness, happiness, and dignity of every being consists in obeying its natural superior and in ruling its natural inferiors. When it fails in either part of this twofold task, we have disease or monstrosity in the scheming of things until the sinning being is either destroyed or corrected. Mm-hmm. One or the other of it will certainly be, for by stepping out of its place in the system, whether by stepping up like a rebellious angel or down like an exceedingly submissive husband, it has made the very nature of things its enemy. It cannot succeed. So one of the things people recognize about this immediately is you, you'll have a negative feeling about that because you'll be like, oh my gosh, if we just assume everything has a natural superior and inferior mm-hmm. or in numerous ways – that system could be corrupted and produce all kinds of oppression and tyranny. Yeah. And the answer is yes, it can. Right. Yes, can it ex- can. Can you absolutely? Explain, that's true. Explain the difference between hierarchy and patriarchy. Too. So patriarchy, to patriarchy is a form of hierarchy, mm-hmm. right? So, ar- so arche in Greek means to rule. Okay. Right. So patros arche means the father rules. Mm-hmm. Right. So patriarchy is the rule of the father. That is the person of highest authority of the family yeah. is the father. Yeah. Right. And so it assumes that there's a relationship of leadership and submission between the husband and wife. Now, Aristotle, as well as the medievals and Milton and Lewis and Johnson and all these Western philosophers would have said, and we'll get to this, I think, in just a minute, that the person who is the, quote, natural superior in different contexts rules in very different ways. Mm-hmm. And the relationship between the man and the wife is a that that rule of authority should be should be um, adjudicated politically, meaning you can't make her do anything, mm-hmm. right? It's it's a it's a consensual relationship of authority and submission. Therefore, because the husband can't rightly force his wife to do anything, she has to choose. Like the the Bible says, doesn't say why the the Bible says wives submit yourselves to your husbands. That is, you choose willingly to do it. Because if you choose willingly not to do it, he can't, there's no way he can make you and be godly. Mm-hmm. And so that relationship of authority and submission within men and women is different than boss mm-hmm. employee, for example, 
where there is something to be done in the use of authority if the person is insubordinate, right? One of the, one of the hierarchies that's, that's different than any other hierarchy is patriarchy because it's the rule of a superior over the inferior between equals. So there's, there's all kinds of ways in which the, the woman is no inferior to the man. There are some things in which she is the man's superior. But in authority in the household, relative to nature, within the traditional perspective, the husband is the wife's superior functionally. And therefore, his rule is only political. Mm-hmm. His superiority is a political superiority. That is, she... Um, Remember, so it, sometimes when you read about American history, it says within a democracy that the people delegate some of their rights to the government so things will be done for their, quote, convenience, mm-hmm. right? So the government, like, adjudicates wars and adjudicates right. law enforcement, all these things, right. not because it's the people in it are more qualified than me, but because I can't be doing all this crap and still live my life. Right. So I, I make the government my superior for my convenience. Right. So that relationship of natural superior and inferior isn't one of being and isn't even one of competence. And therefore, the relationship is different. It's adjudicated by politics. That is a give and take between the two in relationship to each other to Mm -hmm. pursue the ends that they've chosen to pursue together within the governance of the family. Mm -hmm. And in that sense, the man's authority over the wife within patriarchy is a form of hierarchy. But hierarchy has many forms because the relationship of superiority and inferiority is different in every situation. Yeah. 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 How can you. um, So, okay. I think the baseline thing that we're going to need to establish here is that hierarchy in and of itself as a abstract thing isn't a sin. But how do you. Because my generation would say. The hierarchy is the ultimate sin. Hierarchy and patriarchy and all these things that fall within the hierarchy definition. That's all. That is the ultimate sin. Jesus came and like, you know, Jesus came to not be a part of the hierarchy, but he was lowly and all those things that, that they mm-hmm. say. How do you how can we right out of the gate here talk about or I guess redefine this in our head? And because I think that's going to be the big shut off for a lot of people my age. They're yeah. not going to be able to understand this dude. Pastor Nick is just coming on here and telling me that everything that I've taught, been taught my entire life about hierarchy and heard on social media all the time is totally not true. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I'll, let, me say, let me say two things. The first is when somebody's resistant to an idea, the first reason to ask is why. And if the thing is plainly true, which I think the reality of hierarchies in all existence are, I think Jordan Peterson has tried to try to work that out in his chapter on in all his teachings about lobsters. Yeah, they're like they're like. Look, it's hierarchy is so embedded in our neurology. There's no way to imagine organisms interacting with each, with each other without hierarchy. The problem yeah. is, is that because there's no morality to it, uh, people yeah. like Joe Rogan and in some ways even Jordan Peterson's solution to the problem of hierarchy is you've got to win, mm-hmm. so you can be at the top. That's not the yeah. Christian answer, right? But so the first thing for the person who struggles with the concept of hierarchy because it just sounds terrible is to first address their fear, which is. Doesn't this sound like an incredibly corruptible system where some person can say, well, I'm your natural superior, therefore I get to rule you, which is precisely what happened in slavery, right? Mm-hmm. That slavery, it was justified by Aristotle. Aristotle said it was justified because some men are the superiors of other men, like the man who uses a tool is the superior to that tool. 
And he argued that the, the masters of slaves were like the soul to the body. Just as the soul masters the body, the minds of some men are so much greater than the minds of others men that they should rule them. Yeah. Right. And so there's, there's a certain sense in which um, people are concerned about the corruptibility of hierarchy. And, 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 and Peterson, Jordan Peterson actually has actually been pretty good on this because he says that to deny hierarchy is to deny reality. Mm-hmm. But what every hierarchy is always struggling with is corruption. And that is correct. Mm-hmm. Human beings and other organisms and persons cannot relate to each other without hierarchical dynamics. Mm-hmm. Now, they don't have to be necessarily hard, fast, really, really like strongly structured ones. But usually even if you're friends with two other people and there's three people in a friend group, some kind of hierarchy begins to develop. Somebody's more the leader than the other people. Some people are better at some things than others and people start intergroup deferring and so on. Right. And so once you recognize that hierarchy is a fundamental reality, the question is, okay, well then what's the best possible version of it? And are there some versions of it that we're not going to accept because we shouldn't like slavery, for example? And I think that this gets into a deeper question also for for a lot of younger people who are trying to figure this whole dynamic out, especially after graduating high school and then graduating college and going into the workforce. Mm -hmm. You'll realize at some point probably that you kind of are going to reach a mental or physical limit as to how much you can personally do uh, and you can personally produce as a human being in, within mm-hmm. whatever company or church or whatever industry or organization that you're in. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be, I think that's going to be really difficult for people my age. Cause I think, I think yeah. a lot of us who, a lot of the people who understand the hierarchy or who at least practically live within it are trying to get to the top of it. And that's what he tells you, you know, the, the whole, your whole goal in life is get money, like, you know, get to the top of the hierarchy and, um, right. Cause that's where all the privileges are. Right. And, and those privileges are what then incentivize corruption. Right. Right. The conversation that we're having isn't going to be about how to get to the top of the hierarchy. It's going to be basically, well, we're going to discuss whether hierarchy is tyranny, but then practically how do you personally interact with the hierarchy? And I think that's important. That's, that's a, you know, what's the meaning of life question in some way, you know? Yeah. One of the people we've podcasted with, Annalise, um, she said, she was talking about this in relative to women's issues. And so, and, and it basically the logic comes down to this. If you have an institution in which there is sometimes abuse, you don't throw away the institution. You address the abuse. Right. Right. And the problem is addressing abuse is much harder than gainsaying an institution, right? To say, oh, that institution sucks, man. That's really easy, Mm -hmm. right? Especially if you have social media, you could just like tweet that crap. Right. But to actually like get involved in something and reform it so that it it produces the good it was meant to produce by nature, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't have the liabilities that it naturally grows in corruption towards is the hardest thing you'll ever do. And that's actually what our lives are for. Mm-hmm. Our purpose. So, like as a pastor, I got I got into this partly because I felt like the that churches there were a lot of churches and pastors that were corrupt in the sense that they weren't living to serve their church and the non-believers around them with the gospel, mm-hmm. and pastors weren't using their authority in the church to do what was good for the church. They they were enjoying it, but they weren't necessarily doing. That's what what God says in, in Ezekiel 34. He says to all the shepherds of Israel, he's like, you eat from the, you, you drink the milk from the sheep, 
you eat their flesh, you clothe themselves with their wool. That is, you have an extractional relationship with your inferiors, but you don't actually live for their good. There's not more sheep. They're not growing. They're not well-fed. They're not well-taken care of. That's the purpose of your authority is for the good of those over whom you are ruling, mm-hmm. right? And that dynamic is so difficult. But what I find with a lot of younger people, because it's true for all people, is that they complain about the people in authority over them and they misuse the authority that they have. Yeah. If you, if I say, okay, what authority do you have and who and what under your authority is flourishing? And I'm talking, you can start with literally the plants on your windowsill. Mm-hmm. They are your natural inferiors. You rule over them. Mm-hmm. How are they doing? Your house or wherever you live is a space that you rule over. It's you are naturally superior to it as a living person and it isn't. How is it doing? Is it flourishing? Is it doing well? Is it up? Is it kept well? What can we say about what is under your rule? Because that's the only thing that legitimates your promotion to rule more, which is exactly what Jesus said. Those who've been entrusted with little and are faithful with it can and will be entrusted with more. The whole parable of the talents, right? The, the, the master gives 10, 10 talents, maybe like $100,000. The guy increases it by $100,000. And then he gets put in charge of 10 cities. Right. And so what God says is even in heaven, the way he runs heaven is going to be by taking our lives here, looking at how what kind of a steward we were, in what we were hierarchically in charge of, and then order our rule in heaven relative to it, yep. our faithfulness, competence, humility, and godliness. So your eternity is not only rooted in the hierarchical nature of creation because God is its monarch, or that the angels have archangels, that is ruling angels. The angels are in a hierarchy. Not only is that true, but heaven in the future, in the perfect state, appears that it will have some kinds of hierarchies in it. They will just be perfect. Mm-hmm. And they won't seem or be oppressive in any way. Mm-hmm. And once you recognize that, you can live by an egalitarian or principle of equality where you value, value everyone equally. That's why the person higher in a hierarchy has to serve the well-being of those below them in the hierarchy. Right, because they are of equal value. Their inferiority is not in what they deserve, it's in what they're in charge of. Right. And so once you recognize that, then hierarchy isn't an injustice. Right. But you'll order it to right authority and competence mm-hmm. and character rather than privileges, right? like falsehoods and so on. And so yeah. Lewis argues later in the chapter that the very reason that you cannot obey a gangster is the same reason you should obey Jesus because Jesus is your true superior and the gangster isn't right. And we'll get, we'll get to that in just in, in a little bit about like, how do these go bad? But the first, but for to the, to the, the first thing I would say to somebody who's like, well, this hierarchy thing, it's just going to be terrible. No, it's necessary. It already exists. It will always exist. The question is, will it be corrupt or will it be reformed? Right. That's the question. How will you use, you use your stewardship or service Mm-hmm. So that it will be, it will be reformed and always reforming, mm-hmm. rather than increasingly corrupt and more tyrannical. Oh, okay. So my question then would be, where, where, where did Aristotle get this idea that slavery is okay? Because I, I, we look at Aristotle as an example here in his philosophies as as an example of the of of truth. What mm-hmm. 
hierarchy is true and it's found in nature. But then it seems like out of left field, he's like, yeah, and also slavery is okay. Does he see anything that looks like that in nature? Or is that just his sin nature coming out? You know, like show expose himself mm. to the world in that that the people always want to oppress the person next to them. What was the justification for that? Um. Okay, you you might not like this answer, but um, first of all, it, it it's not out of left field, right? If you start with the idea that nature presumes sure. that some people are the natural superiors, or some beings, or things, or objects are the natural superiors, and some things are natural inferiors, then slavery is a very logical conclusion. Right. So the question is, well, then what then what is the limiting principle that should help us see that you shouldn't take it that far? Right. Like what authority can one man have over another man? Right. And what authority can't one have over another? Right. And on what basis? Right. Correct. Yeah. And so um, the I think one of the great, the greatest difficulty with hierarchy besides the it, its corruptibility once human nature is corrupt right it's only as good as the human beings but of course that's true for everything with human beings right hierarchy is is by by nature always exists so the problem of human beings will always exist as long as yeah. we are related right but the, but the second thing is like like on what basis is on what basis or how do we establish this superiority or inferiority of which we speak mm-hmm. right. Well, there are some simple ways, like some are consensual, right? Like husband to wife, for example. If a wife says, yeah, I submit myself to my husband because I believe that's the right ordering of the family. He is my superior in authority, and so I should submit to him. That's consensual. So it's established by consent, right? Which is great, right? Some are fundamentally natural, like the submission of a baby to her mm-hmm. to her mother, right? Nature has made her the natural inferior of her mother developmentally, mm-hmm. right? So that's a superiority that's based on developmental right. positioning, right? So there's some that we're supposed to be able to discern fairly straightforwardly and easily. Within like on a sports team, we're supposed to look around to see who is the best. Mm-hmm. That's supposed to be fairly self-evident. Like the person if if one person's scoring 34 points a game and everybody else is like at 12 on the starting five, we know who the best is. Right. Right. And so on. And it's supposed to be that if we're hum- we're all humble. We should be able to have a right view of ourselves and others, and we should be able to say that person's the best. That person should be in charge, and so in so doing, our hierarchy should be populated by um, by competence in the broadest sense. That is able to do the job, has the character to lead with integrity. So, mm-hmm. so competence would include integrity mm-hmm. in this case, or holiness. Right. Well, okay. So I, I kind of get confused in these, not confused. I kind of got to the, you get to the point in the, in the conversation about hierarchy where it's like, okay, this is yeah. true. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't like that's okay, kind of so what let me, let me finish on slavery because I think slavery yeah. is a really good example. Okay. okay. There was a provision in the Old Testament. So in the Old Testament, there were certain circumstances in which you be, could become a slave. The main one was, is that you were so c- consistently bankrupt that you were going to starve to death and there's no social network for you, right? So what would happen is you'd become the slave of the person you owed the most amount of money to. So you're enslaved to work out the debt. That is, you are the you are that person's inferior in living life, hmm. right? Like yeah. you can't earn enough money to live. Your life is a mess. So we put you under the authority of the person you owe money to, 
right? And it's not assumed that that's a, that right. the, that person had cheated you. It's assumed that like you didn't do your work right. Like his farm went fine and yours didn't. You were under the same clouds. What's the difference? The difference is you, right? So you would become that person's slave for up to seven years. So there were and so there was and there were specific limitations on that what the person could or couldn't do to you. But it included they could do a lot to you, right? But right. after seven years, you'd be freed. Now at the end of seven years. If you recognized as the slave, look, I suck at life and this guy's pretty good at it. He tells me what to do. I do it. I have enough food to eat. This actually isn't a bad deal. You could at, you could claim to stay in that person's house and there was a ritual by which they would take an awl and they would pierce one of your ears with it and they would drive it into the, the uh, doorpost of the home. And if they did that, then you were permanently a part of that family. <laughs> Excuse me. You were permanently a part of that family, and you were, but you were permanently a slave, right? But what you were acknowledging was that this person who had been your master was actually executing the hierarchy of master-slave correctly. That is, you were thriving and flourishing as the slave. Right. If you as a slave would agree to it, even if you could be freed, you recognized you were being treated well, and you realized you actually were incompetent much less competent than this other guy at living life so that tying yourself to him actually made your life better. Mm-hmm. Then your slavery could be permanent. So what the old Testament basically argued is there is a hierarchical way in which slavery could exist in which it could be a good. Yeah. What we have learned by practice is that so few people are capable of ruling in that kind of way and submitting in that kind of way that the institution is just beyond us. I think one of the important things to remember about the Bible, biblical, the slavery in the New Testament and the Old Testament, well, in the New Testament is, like you're saying, it was, it was on the basis of financial bankruptcy, not on the basis of race or right. gender. Right. It, or it had nothing to do with chattel slavery, though there are some complications of that relative to like battles and taking people in slaves and battles. But however, yeah. I would say this, in the New Testament, one of the base, best examples of this is that I'm a slave. Right. I am the slave of Jesus Christ. I'm the doulos right. or the bondservant of Christ Jesus. And my life has never been better mm-hmm. because of it. Because to be the slave of Jesus Christ is to better is is better than to be a free man. In fact, it means that the the way that Jesus has made me his slave has also made me the Lord's freed man. So Jesus is so good a master that he basically allows me and gives me the ability to live as a freeman, even though I don't have the competence to do it. And yep. so I become a slave to his law of love. And in so doing, I become capable of being free. And so I'm freer than I've ever been as his slave because he's that good a master, right? But yet in the New Testament, the institution of slavery is greatly undermined because – not because Paul says um, slavery is by its nature impossible, but he, he argues on the basis of the gospel that by its basis, the ethics for it are so high that it's impracticable. Mm-hmm. Because you literally have to treat your slave like your brother. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which basically means if you're oppressing him in any way, right? it's, a, it's illegitimate. Yeah. So can you have slaves as a Christian? If you lived in a place in the world that had them? Yes, you can. Technically, like in the most technical sense, you can. But is it possible to do it? No. Yeah. Because you have to treat your slave as a brother. Right. So – it's also important to to mention spiritually talking about spiritual slavery we're slaves to Christ that mm-hmm. that the only two options really given spiritually are being mm-hmm. a slave to Christ or being a slave to sin like th- those are those are the only two options there's not like a th- you you said right 
there is to be a free man or to be a slave to Christ. And what you probably meant by that was as a free man being a slave to sin, right? F- like free to indulge in my own sin. or Right. So or, like if I try to be a free man and not Jesus' slave, yeah. what happens practically is I sin and it takes a hold of me and then I become its slave. So even right. though I'm free, I'm bankrupt. Yes. I'm starving. I'm dying like the prodigal son. Right. When I come to be Jesus' bondservant, right? I come with nothing, right? And he so changes me that even though I'm his slave, what actually happens is I'm living free because what matters is who the master is. It turns out I'm a terrible master, even of myself. Mm-hmm. With a little bit of Christ's mastery, I become a better master of myself and then can steward my own life and become yeah. freer for becoming his slave. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. But then scripture says, this is the gift of the hierarchical Lord. He he takes his slaves and makes them sons, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Which is, which is the ethic of God. So like to the extent to which I can't rule myself, will he, uh, quote, enslave me that has put me under his authority so I don't get to rule myself? Yes, for my own good. If I'm so dysfunctional, I can't run my own life. Slavery to God, where he literally forces me to do things or makes me do them, would be better. Yeah. But he doesn't leave me there. He makes me functional enough to live my own life and to be his freed man. And so sets me free and so makes me his child, right? Mm-hmm. Similarly, the Christianity doesn't outlaw slavery. It just makes it so, the, the level of integrity and reform it requires so high that it's functionally in, impracticable. Yeah. So that through time, the early Greco-Roman Christian who couldn't free his slaves by law could still treat them as his brother. Right. And so, for example, Thomas Jefferson and, and some of the Southern slaveholders, there were laws in places like Virginia where that you couldn't emancipate your slaves unless your, your plantation was free of debt. But plantations were never free of debt. That was the basic nature of the economics of the South. So you had all these Southern landowners who had slaves. Some of them had become abolitionists. They wanted to free their slaves. It was illegal for them to free their slaves. So what do they do? And the answer, and the answer Thomas Jefferson, I think, wrote one young man was, in the manner in which you treat them. You huh. must treat them like your brother. For those listening to, by the way, that thinks that Thomas Jefferson had an illegitimate child with one of his slaves, there's no actually historical evidence for that. It, the, the, the research done on that was that it was a hack job. And a number of very liberal historians who looked at the, inf- at the information, including people at Harvard and places like that, that would be very glad to say that Jefferson had done such a thing, said that the evidence for it was terrible. And it, it was somebody attacking Jefferson's character for political reasons. So the evidence and, – and I'm no, I'm no fan of Jefferson. Okay, like There's a lot of ways in which I think he was a pretty immoral man. Yeah. But his belief about how other people should be treated even though he held slaves, he, he, he was stuck in this situation that was very difficult. And there were some, some Southern slave owners that just couldn't do it. So what do you do? Does it, what if you were a Christian and a Southerner and you like inherited 140 slaves? What were you supposed to do? You can't emancipate them. Well, but you know what you can do? You can treat them like brothers. You could do that. Even within that horrible, unjust system, you could choose to treat them, right? And so that's what that's what, what hierarchy would look like, right. right? Even a hierarchy that you don't want, that you don't even think it's right. You don't even think you're the natural superior of these people, right? Mm-hmm. You have been put in a position that now you can't get out of. What do you do? Well, you treat the people that you're ruling over for their good, their benefit, which is what all people ruling in hierarchies are supposed to do, whether the hierarchy is legitimate or illegitimate. So Aristotle didn't have the limiting principle to recognize mm-hmm. that slavery was de- – the form of slavery that they utilized was dehumanizing. 
The reason the men that were slaves he thought he was a superior to was because slavery had degraded those men and women yeah. so that they behaved in such a way as they, that he could believe he was their superior, mm-hmm. which is what we found out in America. I mean, so many whites at the time of emancipation were like, these black people can't live in America. Like they have no ability to live by themselves or to do anything for themselves. It's like, well, to the extent to which that was true, and that was true for some Southern blacks, they just had no education. They didn't even, they weren't even taught made some basic hygiene stuff. People literally thought they wouldn't be able to live emancipated, but because, but most of them thought it was because they were African. It was like, well, these Africans are barely human. No, it was because the white slave system had degraded them as human beings so much in many cases that they really struggled. But that's why people like Booker T. Washington and the founder of Tuskegee was like, okay, we're, we, this is, this could be done. We just have to help people mm-hmm. overcome their degradation and demonstrate that they are the equals of people around them, which modern critical theorists think was like the worst thing. They hate Booker T. Washington. But Booker T. Washington did incredibly important things to demonstrate that African-Americans were not the natural inferiors of whites. They had been degraded by whites. And wherever they performed inferiorly, it was in large part because of how they were treated. Because the minute you gave them education, opportunity, entrepreneurship, they did amazing and made huge contributions to American life. Which is why Tuskegee and Booker T. Washington created the African American Museum. And I think it was in Atlanta, but it was in the south of like all the contributions that blacks were making in American life. Yeah. To re-educate whites about the nature of hierarchy in the south. Yeah. Well, and then – the nature of human beings in that i mean mm-hmm. one of the natures of human beings in that not that hu- human beings are not um i i'm trying to figure out how i can say this human beings aren't uh intelligent or unintelligent or or useless or not useless based off of the color of their skin it's based off of what they do and what I mean, and mm-hmm. what they believe and things like that. I, I think what most yeah. people are going to be thinking right now, though, is, okay, but what does Jesus think about all of this? Because obviously in the, over the last 20, 30, 50, I don't know, how, however long, years in America, there's been the push in the in the Jesus the people kind of, of uh, cherry picking the stories in the Bible where Jesus was um really fighting against certain hierarchical hierarchical is it hierarchical or hierarchical hierarchical yeah hierarchical structures and he's fighting against these things and they say see jesus was anti-hierarchical jesus did not like hierarchies he came to serve people he came to be the lowest and there's obviously biblical historical uh, evidence for that to be true. He did. He didn't come and become the king of or the emperor of Rome or start a yeah. rebellion. And and so the question is, what yeah. did Jesus think about this? Because Aristotle is great, but mm-hmm. there's got to be ways in which there's disconnects between Jesus Christ and Aristotle. So yeah, yeah. I mean, one of the things to look at is to look at what Jesus actually does when he's attacking people who are in authority. Mm-hmm. And what he is virtually always doing is attacking their corruption. Mm-hmm. Just what I've been saying, right? That that Jesus doesn't attack the nature of things or the or natural hierarchies. Mm-hmm. Everywhere where he is looked to to affirm an authority, he basically says, "I affirm the authority. I just don't affirm your corruption in your use of the authority." Right? And so he's well, he's always fighting corruption relative to authority. 
Now, there's some places where he does things that you would say, well, wait, does he have the authority to do that in the authority structure that exists? And so isn't he being insubordinate, right? So like the, the classic example is when he turns over the money changers tables in the temple, mm-hmm. right? Does he have the authority to do that, right? And the answer that I think we're going to get to in a little bit is that there, there are times when you are not supposed to submit to right authorities and to do so is actually wrong. Mm-hmm. And in those cases, Jesus doesn't submit to authorities, but only so long as to do engage in the immediate correction to demand the necessary reform. But he, but Jesus was just not an egalitarian. There's nothing about his ministry that made it seem like he thought hierarchy was inherently wrong. Yeah. I mean, what he set, he set out to do immediately was build a small structure of 12 people where he would lead them and call the, I mean, he, he built a hierarchy right away um and then, yeah and even within the 12 new testament scholars right. demonstrate that there's right. there's like the three and then the one and yeah or there's peter james and john and then there's peter and yeah. they're not all equal it's like three levels four levels of hierarchy within that within one those 12, 12 right? people yeah and and that, 12 and, three one one right yeah right so that I mean that that's that's yeah that's a good answer to that question. I mean, yeah, and he doesn't he doesn't reject Nicodemus his authority as Israel's teacher. Right. He doesn't he doesn't reject that the Sadducees have the right to be the priests of God's temple. He doesn't even yeah. he doesn't even say that the, that Roman leaders don't have the right to do their jobs. Right? He says to the Roman yeah, soldiers, do true. your job, right. do it without corruption. Be content right. with your pay and don't take don't extort people. Right? Yeah. Every time he's always saying do the do the job, take authority and do it. Because to not use your authority that's right authority is sin. But he's like, but quit with the corruption. And so one, of the things, you, one of the things we all have to realize is, is that for all of our lives, all of us are going to have some work to do in fighting corruption in the hierarchies in which we're a part. So what do you do about – yeah, and, and obviously you kind of just answered this. But what should somebody who's young, who's frustrated with the corruption that they see within hierarchies around them, what should they do? Because we know Jesus knew the perfect times to strike and then the perfect times to step back. And am I, you know, for myself personally, I don't know if I have the discernment to know when to go and flip the tables. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I, if, if it were up to me, I'd that's what I'd be doing 24 seven. So I don't think that I have the ability to figure that out. And yet a lot of young people, including myself are frustrated with certain hierarchies, whether it's the local church, whether it's a denomination, whether it's the actual government, the United States government or whatever it is, or the, the school that they're in or the class that they're in or their parents, how can you deal and interact with this hierarchy the way that Jesus did Knowing that we probably aren't going to have, we're not going to have as good discernment as he has. Okay. I have four answers to that. First, stop wishing a hierarchy would go away and quit acting like that's the answer. Mm -hmm. Okay. There is a lot of really good critiques in critical theory about how hierarchies have grown corrupt. But the solution of leveling things so that there won't be hierarchies is an inhuman pipe dream that can never happen and never has happened and never will happen. Okay. Um, even in even in places where people people believe in complete egalitarianism, hierarchies always happen. Kibbutzes, hippie communes, 
critical race theory conference is like you yeah. name it all the places where they're like we're not going to have a hierarchy there's always a hierarchy right. every minute all the time in every way in every place okay so critical quit pretending race. a world is going to exist where there aren't hierarchies there's always going to be a hierarchy the question yeah. is who's going to be in charge is it going to be based on power or merit and are you going to work for integrity and reform or are you going to let it grow increasingly corrupt and try to get as high as you can so you can enjoy its incumbent privileges yeah. That's the question. So know what the question is. Secondly, you have to understand how authority and power works. What is the job? What is the purpose of authority? How does truth relate to authority? How does power relate to authority? How does all that work? Most of us are totally ignorant of that. I think we're going to get at, at four of the basics of it here in a minute about how hierarchy goes wrong. But that's the second is understand authority and power. Third is actually be part of institutions. One of the reasons why young people are so frustrated about corruption is because they, they're angry at it from the outside of institutions that they don't actually join and become a part of and then work for those institutions' internal goods, right? One of the things I that when you and I first met, you were like, stupid church. The church is so stupid. And this is yeah. stupid. And that's like all these things are stupid. I was like, well, good. Join one of them. Mm-hmm. Right. Like get actually involved so that people can actually trust you and they believe that you have our best purposes at heart and so on. And then you'll have some kind of influence and then you can use that influence to try to bring reform to the corrupt hierarchy so the institution can do more good for those it's supposed to serve. Right. So you have to be part of something. Join a church. Have a family. Be part of something so that you're enough of a part of it that you can work for reform. You can un- and, and also, here's the thing. You don't even really know what's wrong from the outside, usually. Yeah. I you think just, you know, but you don't really know. Yeah. It's so easy to just trash institutions from, you know, like just from the outside, from, from mm-hmm. looking in and saying, wow, that, that all sucks. You can basically go to any hierarchy that's ever existed throughout all of human history and trash it because – you don't understand the complexity that that exists within it and i think that yeah. once you join it or whatever if it's a local church or something like that once you join it you're going to realize that some of your critiques were were unfair and unjust and mm. that you had no you were incredibly ignorant to what actually was going yeah. on within the organization or whatever it is and yeah. and that and you're gonna have to feel stupid and i think that that's good i i felt yeah sometimes. and that includes staying at your business sometimes like yeah. realizing that your business is a hierarchical institution and if you want to bring change, you're going to have to stick with it. Like if you're a teacher or something and you don't like the public school, like working yourself deeper into the institution so that you can work for reform because get you like just leaving and then trashing it. Like there's a difference between being a critic and a statesman. And yeah. frankly, I don't I, I'll listen to critics, but I don't trust them and I won't I don't I won't work with them. I don't cooperate with critics. Mm-hmm. Right. I listen, but I don't, but like statesmen are people who are trying to really create unity, who are trying to get people together, who are trying to get somewhere and do something. Right. Okay. So, so stop pretending hierarchy is not going to exist. Two, um, understand the nature of authority and power, how it functions. Three, join institutions in areas where there are hierarchies so that you can bring reform. And then fourth, grow in godliness and integrity as much as you possibly can. Because wielding authority within a hierarchy is the hardest thing in the world to do with integrity. Abraham Lincoln once said, if you want to test somebody's character, don't make them suffer. Give them power. Yeah. 
power is corrupting. Lord Acton said, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Um, vir- virtually everybody in the modern period is recognized, and, and through all, all periods, power is intoxicating, it's corrupting, the privileges of incumbency are amazing, cronyism, like, and uh, there's, there's so many isms of corruption that are related to holding any power at all. I mean, sometimes you give people the smallest little bit of power, and they become little tyrants. Yeah. Right. You give a secretary, like some administrative assistant, the you know the right to like, you know, whose phone calls get through, and they become this little tyrant. Like it's it's amazing how this happens. And so you have to learn to be a person of integrity, who can who can resist the ongoing temptations of power. Then and only then, if you add to that the competence to actually bring about reform, do you have any possibility of bringing about good? And you probably aren't that. And so Jordan Peterson says something that he could have stolen from Jesus, which is start small, be faithful in small things, Mm -hmm. and then you'll like work yourself up to be able to do big things. The way Jordan Peterson says, of course, is make your bed and clean your room and get your life in order. And then maybe you can start fixing other things in your own life. And then someday maybe in other people's lives. So Nick, this is this might be going off topic, so you can tell me if you don't want to talk about this. <laughs> but it's something that I've wondered, and I've I have no idea where I land on this. It, it, if somebody looks at the Bible from the lens of an egalitarian, mm-hmm. h- how are they supposed to actually believe it? Can, can you actually be a Christian? And, and because I'm thinking about the people that I know that are my age who are on TikTok and Twitter and Instagram, just their answer to all these questions is destroy all, like destroy the local church, destroy all hierarchy, destroy everything. And yet they claim to be Christians and their teachings are directly contradictory to the teachings of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And their answer, like destroy Jesus, if Jesus wanted to destroy the Roman Empire and wanted to destroy the 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 Pharisees and the Sadducees, he could have like he obviously he could have done that because he's God. So he didn't come to really destroy that. Maybe he ulti- uh, well, he didn't yeah. come to totally destroy that because even those philosophies and and belief systems. Yeah, really exist. I mean, this gets back to like. Um, Golding's Lord of the Flies and some of these other books that like the only thing worse than tyranny is anarchy because Uh it creates all kinds of destruction and then it ends in tyranny. Yeah. And so um, one of the reasons the founding fathers didn't want to weak a federal government is because if America was too anarchic, that is there was too much anarchy, people just did whatever they wanted, that would lead to an unlivable situation and then people would turn to some strong man who could bring them order. Yeah. Because in in the midst of chaos, people always choose order, not freedom. Yeah. And so, um, that's yeah. The, one of the things that a lot of modern people believe in is essentially to tear things down. But the only thing that keeps us civilized and sane is culture and institutions. Mm-hmm. What Burke would have called civil society, yeah. and those are the things that are being attacked. And I, I think it's I, I mean. I think it's satanic and demonic, not in the sense that people are trying to be, but I think they're being played. Mm-hmm. Um, they think that they're reforming when they're actually tearing down the very foundations of human society that keep yeah. us from being brutal and horrifically terrible out of fear and threat and so on. And so, yeah, I, I hope these folks could mature and grow up mm-hmm. in understanding what human life is really like mm-hmm. and that they could then learn to embrace some of the fundamentals of human life mm-hmm. and recognize that there's no way around the hard work of reform and discipline so, and virtue. 
this can lead into kind of the next section here. What, what is going to be the result of and you met and you said it's tyranny, but I guess you have written down here at number two. Uh, what what is a uh, alternative to hierarchy? And then simply the alternative to hierarchy is egalitarianism or democracy. I think it would be important for you to, you to explain. We talked a lot about egalitarianism, mm-hmm. but explain those two. Yeah. yeah. Now, when I, when I say the word egalitarian in relationship to hierarchy, I'm not specifically referring to the Christian view called egalitarianism, that there shouldn't be distinctions in gender roles between men and women, because the concept of hierarchy could be correct. But then you could say there's no relationships of superiority and inferiority between men and women, even in the home, and any kind of authority or dynamic. And so you could theoretically have an egalitarian husband and wife within a otherwise hierarchical world, right? Right. Now, that would seem strange if all of God's institutions had hierarchies, but mm-hmm. it's possible if the man and woman were the perfect equals, then hierarchy would be sin. What right? do you mean because by it would equal? it would involve tyranny and servility? Right. But you we'll get to that. that we'll get to that in a couple of minutes. Okay. Let's right. start with um it, what's the opposite of tyranny? Is it democracy or is it egalitarianism where everybody's equal? And the answer is no, because that doesn't ever happen. Right. So um in the French Revolution, right, the saying was um was equal it was equality, fraternity, liberty, equality, liberty fraternity and equality, right? So we'd be free of the monarch, we would have real brotherhood, and we'd all be equal. But what ended up happening with everybody being equal is everybody got equally guillotined, you know? Like it, like it, was, it was chaos <laughs> until there was a restoration of some kind of hierarchical order in the governance of France, right? And so Burke saw this from across the channel in England, and he said, this is the part of the problem, is that when people reject hierarchy as it's supposed to exist, in a natural aristocracy of competence, what ends up happening is this like leveling, right? Like there was, um, I want to say it was uh, one of the poems of Spencer where there's this, there's this, what's called, it's, he's called the leveling giant. And there's this giant with this huge club and he's walking through the landscape and he's breaking down the hills into the valleys and he's destroying like all the topography until all the land is literally level. Hmm. And there's this person who stands up and rebukes him and says, no, the part of the beauty of the landscape is that the the rivers flow down and that the hills are higher than the valleys. And that's what makes everything beautiful and makes everything work. You sh- the leveling giant is a brute who just is destroying everything by making everything level, right? And that's just, that's what's true of a lot of the applications of modern egalitarian theory, which comes out of critical theory, which is that we really need to level everything. Well, that's not really going to happen. And if you actually listen closely to the people who are against hierarchy, what they're doing is actually plays of power, which their own philosophy argues. Right. Because when truth doesn't govern hierarchy, people turn to power and then they reinstitutionalize hierarchy. So if you look at like, for example, Abraham Ibrahim Kendi, right? He says the only solution to past racism is present racism or discrimination, present discrimination. That what he's saying is we need to have new people in power because he recognizes that there's no way to get rid of hierarchies. So what we're going to do is we're going to take all the white people out and put only people of color in there, which isn't going to make it better because we're going to have all the same human problems, right? But you can see why someone would say that. What Lewis says is the opposite of tyranny is right hierarchy. 
That is that that it is true superiors that are ruling inferiors. That is that that your hierarchy is based on competence, and it's ordered for the good of all. Tyranny is when somebody takes power and forces people to obey them, and it, it ends up being more and more for the good of the tyrants and the people that he approves of. So, g- so give a yeah, but give a definition of democracy really quick because. The people, when you're listening to this, when I'm listening to this, and when people my age are going to listen to this, they're going to say, "Well, we live in a democracy." And for that, for those of them that know anything about American history, which is like five of them, will understand <laughs> that. Yeah, we created a democracy to come, to get away from tyranny in in a way, right. and and yet, I mean, I know where this is going. We obviously don't live in a democracy. We live in a different type yeah. of governmental structure. But what is a democracy? Yeah, demos crate, the people rule, right? So democracy is the rule of the people. Now, in in history, there the the question that people asked because they believed in hierarchy, even in democracies, was who are who are our equals? You yeah. see, they were still allowed to ask those questions. And so, in the ancient city states like Athens, the idea was. Somebody who owns and can adjudicate properly land. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That is somebody who has a little kingdom they rule over and they're ruling it over properly. Those people have the competence to make decisions about the city state. So men who owned property were able to vote, right? Or certain artisans that had mastered the hierarchy of their trade could vote. Does that make sense? But mm-hmm. people who hadn't demonstrated that mastery or rule weren't allowed to be part of the mastery and rule of the city, so they weren't allowed to vote. Now, obviously, there were there's issues related to women and all those kinds of things. But there was this idea of like, well, what qualifications should someone have? Up until fairly recently, even in the Supreme Court decisions, there isn't any um, any regulation in principle that there couldn't be a civics test for us to have the right to vote. The reason why no tests are allowed or poll taxes are allowed is because they were misused in the South in the Jim Crow period, hmm. right? People came up with tests that were different from each, for, from each person. They made tests that were impossible to pass and so on. So what happened is this is because of this history of voting tests is, has such a racialized history in America, we got rid of it. But for most of the history of the world, in democracies, there was this idea that there has to be some criteria that somebody proves their competence. Why? Because if you are ruled over by people who aren't your equals, who aren't your superior, or if you have to submit to people who aren't even your equals, then you are engaging in servility. You're committing a sin. You're doing something wrong. You're letting people who shouldn't rule over you rule over you, and that's wrong. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. And just so I can say this, mm-hmm. we, we live in a democratic republic. Not a democracy. Right. So when you get to the founding fathers, right, the founding fathers are like – because because even with those attempts to rule that, that way in democracy, every democracy in the history of the world they saw like conflagrated, it was destroyed. Like yeah. they, they were very unstable. Like in some ways they were like a way forward. Mm-hmm. But by the time you got to the Roman period, they already created a republic. That was 2,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. They're like sheer – the sheer rule of the people doesn't work. So they created a republic, but the republic was still ruled by the whims of the people who were in charge. The founding fathers were like, this doesn't work because now if the Senate loses its character, then we'll be ruled over with a tyranny of the Senate. So how do you escape that? And their answer was you make laws. You go back to Moses. Moses receives laws and the laws are above everyone. No one is above the law. So the law is supreme. 
Right. I've I've wondered this. Who chose the the representatives in in a republic? In just a republic, not a democratic. Because in a democratic republic, the people yeah, whatever group of people were considered qualified to vote, which so, were usually I landowners mean, and artisans and people like that. That would be what we live in right now. Then just a republic, not a democratic republic, right? What's the difference between a republic and a democratic republic? In theory, you could have representatives of the people that were not chosen by. So in in um in Europe, there were a lot of hereditary titles. And so people who owned land throughout most of Europe, there was only a very sparse relationship between the merit of those people and what they owned because their titles were hereditary. So they didn't create the fief- – they didn't become the lord of Normandy because they were a great conqueror, general, and administrator. They inherited that, right? And that, that's when you get – that's when you get decadence in hierarchies. Did, did things that, go did, really badly? Did they have term limits and things like that? Is that no. kind of the difference? No, no term limits. So no. So, in, so in America, theory. one of the things that the founding fathers were trying to get away from in America was this hereditary hierarchy. Yeah, right. Because it wasn't based on competence anymore. And so right. when Burke wrote about it, he talked about a natural that the world had a natural aristocracy. And when he says natural aristocracy, he's intentionally contrasting that with a political hierarchy, a political aristocracy. So he's like the best, the people who should rule are the best people, but the best people are not the people with the titles of Lord and Prince and King, right? We, we should be ruled by nature's aristocracy, the people who are actually the most competent. And he's like, how do you discover those people and get them in the right places? And he believed that some kind of free system in which people could be elected and also people could rise economically. There were multiple ways of people rising allowed us to get the, the best natural aristocracy up so that we could flourish the most. But of course, that's hard because everybody's pretending to be that person because yeah, they want the get, privileges that come with it and the incumbency say, that they can secure. I'm going to get this podcast flagged from going on engaged and equipped, but I was going to say then how <laughs> then how did AOC get elected? <laughs> like how did how did how did Biden get elected? Like okay, so how did some of these incompetent and there's a lot of Republican ones too though. Right. Like, so why is so, it turned out the way that it's turned out right okay, now? Okay, so the ancient Greeks would say we've opened the voting too broadly. We let people who are not our equals vote. Hmm. Right? And like, if you think about it, if you look at the American voting public, not everybody is equally qualified to pick good leadership. Everybody's equally qualified to vote in the sense that everybody can go into a room and fill in circles. Yeah. Right. And everybody has, in some sense, an equal stake in the voting. Right. That is, whatever happens is going to affect everybody. Right. But if let's let's say for some reason I'm a, a I represent a bunch of inferior voters. Like I don't pay attention. I don't know what's going on. I don't understand basic economics. I live by my sensuality. I just want like more free medical care and I want other people to pay for it. And I don't know who those people are. I don't care about national debt. I don't look right. Right. I think racism's good, whatever. Right. And you represent like, like somebody who's actually virtuous and enlightened, like somebody who like understands the issues at stake and can read the people who are running and you know, who would be a better leader. Right. And you and I vote. And I just happen to be 51% and you're 41, 49%, right? What just happened? I just tyrannically ruled over you is what just happened. Right. You're subject to my incompetent tyranny, right? You are overruled by somebody who isn't your equal. That's tyranny, right? Tyranny Democracy, is overruled by somebody who's not your equal. That, right. Without, right. If the voters aren't true equals, which they never are, 
democracy creates the dynamic of the tyranny of the inferior over the superior. And I don't mean that racially, like people are like, what do you mean by that? What I mean is there's some people that are better at things than others. Right. And the, and the natural aristocracy is the people who are better should be recognized as better. And those people should make the choices and have the authority to do it. Now, right. maybe by consent or rule, or there's lots of ways to do it. Right. But the point is, is that I'm not saying that we shouldn't be democratic. I'm just saying, let's not pretend that if something's decided democratically, it's right. There's yeah, no relationship no. to it. And, and so, okay. And I agree with that. So to, to tie this back into the church and into the governmental structures of the local church. Yeah. This is something that I got a little heat for and saying I, on one podcast, I, I, I said, quote, I hate church membership, unquote. <laughs> <laughs> I got a little bit of heat for this. And, yeah. and so but, you're but playing I, into, you're playing into my point. Let me give you, let me give the listener an example. Cause some people be like, no, Nick, democracy is better. Okay. Let me ask you this. Okay. Imagine you have a King, a possible king. And that king is a person of enlightened integrity. You have every reason to believe that that person will behave with enlightened. They know how to rule well, and they are morally upright enough to do so. They are a virtuous person, right? Or you you have a rabble of a population, people who don't care about the good, they do what they want, blah, 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 but they're a group of people, right? The rule of which is the most just. Right now, some people just say on principle, democracy is better, but on what principle? Right. The principle of equality, but the people aren't equal. Right. Like like you're you're using equality like that one word counts for everything. But in some ways, the people are equal before God, before the law. Mm -hmm. But are they all equal in their ability to choose a good leader? Of course not. Well, Nick, I feel like you're using you're using the word competence and integrity interchangeably. Is that true or not? Because when I think about the church, I don't think this is why I don't like church membership and church democracy and voting for mm -hmm. elders and things like that by the congregants. I think it's, I think it doesn't work because I agree with Aristotle and I agree with you and I agree with the Greeks that people are going to vote in. People are going to make big mistakes and I don't think they're going to vote people in who might be the most competent person, but the biblical qualifications for eldership isn't necessarily about, I mean, it, there is, there obviously have to be competent and be, be able to teach and things like that, but it has a, a much more of a slant towards integrity and doing the right thing and being above reproach and somebody who is um, good good in all of the biblical ways and are and is disciplined. And I think that what happens in church democracy and it's happened in churches around Madison it's happened in churches in Minneapolis, all over the country is that when you start to let the masses in the congregation vote for people to be in leadership, they're, they're not, they don't vote on the, on the basis of what Paul told, told us to pick uh, elders based off of they don't vote for on that basis mm -hmm. they vote on the basis of a bunch of things and it's and what i've seen is that it's rarely those things that paul said and this is where, where you get yeah. churches that will go from hardcore complementarianism to they'll one day they'll flip and they'll, they're egalitarian because everybody voted for that and it's like where, yeah. where, why is why has the church adopted these things when it doesn't seem like paul ever said okay within church government we should have the congregants vote what why are the other apostles to? yeah okay i think you're both right and wrong i think it would be best for our listeners if we go over the corruptions of hierarchical authority and then use this as an example 
Cool. Yeah. I don't okay. care. Yeah. So the, the last part of this we want to cover is because I said you need to understand the dynamics of authority and power. And so I think once you realize hierarchies exist, there are, there are two ways in which hierarchies go bad and grow in corruption. And then there's two versions of each. So that makes four things total. Okay. Mm -hmm. So if, if right authority is that natural superiors govern natural inferiors and in superior and inferior there means specific things in specific circumstances. They're not holistic, right? Mm -hmm. Then if you, um, if you rule over someone who is your equal or your superior, then you're engaging in tyranny. Right. I, I don't rule over somebody who's my equal. I only rule over that, which is, which is my inferior, right? That, which I have a right authority by competence and integrity and nature to rule over them. Right. So I do rule over my children. Hmm. I'm supposed to. Right. Yeah. But, but when my kids are adults and they've become my equals and then I attempt to rule over them, it gets that's going to be a different thing because now they're my equal. So to rule over them is an act of tyranny. It's no longer a, just an act of authority. Does that make sense? Until they become the president and then they rule over you. Then they rule over me, right? Yeah. There you go. Yeah. And there, and there may be a point where like I become senile and I'm now their inferior and they have to rule over me. And they – so like for example, what right do I have to put a parent in a nursing home if I know when they were in the right mind they would never want to be in a nursing home? Well, when they grow senile and they can no longer take care of themselves, hmm. nature has made me their superior. And bonded me together with them as the one who should rightly take that authority. And so I have to make that decision. And if I don't make that decision, I'm failing. Hmm. I'm not being humble, right? Okay, so, so if I – now, if I obey someone who is not my superior, right? Someone who has no right to be in charge of me, but I just submit to them, that's called servility, right? I'm being servile. And that's a sin, right? So, for example – if I'm the pastor in my church and somebody comes and like tells me what to do and like starts leading in a way that's bad, mm-hmm. my job is to say, no, I'm not doing it. You right? talked about this in the female podcast about right. this is why men generally are uh, – well, one of the reasons men right. elders is because they have to say no all the time and women don't necessarily want to do that and aren't really tempered – in that way, right? That's not as connected to their natural vocation as women. Okay. Yes. yes. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. So, that, okay. I, let me be really clear. That's my belief. The best sense I can make of what's in the Bible. That's what I think is true. I, that's not in the Bible. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to say that all Christians have to believe that. That's what, that's the sense I make of it. Right. Now, right. what that also means though, is, is that if a wife, if a wife is a believer, right, and she believes that there is a certain amount of hierarchical order that should exist in the family, her husband has been um, given the the authority and the responsibility to lead the family in certain ways, right? But he is not her equal. Is he her? Is he her superior in reason? Is he her superior in intelligence? Right? You see, in most cases, the answer is no. So, for if she doesn't use her intelligence, if she doesn't interact with her husband in a way. If she just like, just does whatever he says. Yeah. There's a point at which that's not submission. It's actually servility. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's not becoming of her femininity and it's not right. Does that make sense? In in areas where she is his superior. So let's, so let's say a man has authority in the family, right? But let's say they're doing something in which she is the natural superior. 
Yeah. So let's say it's something that's very stereotypical, like figuring out how much compassion a two-year-old needs in a particular situation. And let's say like she's more connected to his schedule and what he's eaten and what normally happens in his life and so on. The dad isn't, right? Right. And so the dad's like, man, I really feel like we should come down on this kid a little bit harder because this is bad behavior. And the mom's like, I don't think so. Right. There's a moment where the dad's like, well, I'm in charge. I feel like something should be done. And then she says, basically, in this area of judgment, because of my role in our family, I think that I'm your natural superior and that I know more. And so I'm telling you, I don't think we should do that. If that husband is wise, he should recognize her natural superiority and he should submit to it. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. So you see, understanding hierarchy, our hierarchy properly also gives you the tools for it to reform. It also gives the limiting principles outside of which it can't function. And so you know what is corruption and you know what is reform. And that's incredibly yeah. important. And it demonstrates the empowered nature even of inferiors in hierarchical structures. Mm-hmm. Right? Because ne- nobody's ever going to be literally on top because you're never going to be God. Right. Okay. So 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 use use my church membership – Black. Okay, let's do the other two first and then we'll go back to it. Okay, so now now there's a question of if you fail to obey a right authority. Okay. So tyranny and tyranny and servility is when you shouldn't obey. Yeah. Can I can I mention something about the this servility? Mm-hmm. Uh I think that there's a good example of this that I've seen recently um in the really far right Republican pushback against culture and society. Uh, going back, they, they, there's a lot of them who believe that you need to go back to the 1950s way of doing things where women stay home and don't, and, and they create this weird dynamic between men and women where women don't ask questions, don't say anything, don't, and like, there's women who I know who, who like give themselves to that philosophy and they think that that's biblical, but they think that that's complementarianism, but it's not complementarianism. It's just this weird guy is obsessed with power husband is obsessed with power and controlling the whole family and the wife is for some reason totally fine with that mm-hmm. and so um yeah have you seen that yeah and i think that's a good example if we do the next one because i think that could be servility okay. but it also could be remissness and i think that's important to recognize or is, okay. I'm, I'm sorry no it's no that's probably more likely servility okay so so if you try to rule over somebody who you are not their superior that's tyranny If you submit to someone who isn't your superior, that's servility, right? Now, the question is, what if you are unwilling to submit to somebody who is your superior, right? Somebody is your superior. You ought to submit to them. You won't. That's called rebellion. Yeah. Right? And then what if you are unwilling to actually take leadership over people who should obey you? That's remissness, right? To be remiss, to not do your job. Yeah. So, for example, right, like if I don't parent my children, I'm just like, ah, you know, they're fighting with me and I'm like, ah, I'm just going to submit to them. Right. Right. Because if I don't. Right. And so that's that's called remit being remiss. Yeah. I'm not taking the authority that is right to me because I'm the natural superior as the parent. And so I don't parent my kid. I'm being remiss. That's sinful. Right. right. That's a corruption of power. So sometimes the non-use of power is just as corrupt. I've noticed this in my own ministry at church because I tend to think people are going to abandon me and people don't want to follow me. And I only want the people who are really going to follow me to be here. And so sometimes I don't take authority. I don't say, look, I'm in charge here. Here's what we're doing. And so because of that, people languish and they flounder and they're frustrated and they get angry and they can't get their job done because they're waiting for me to make a decision I haven't made. 
I'm being remiss. Right. I'm not using the authority I should have, and everybody's suffering for it. Right, we're not thriving like we should because I won't actually use my authority. Mm-hmm. There are places where my wife is like, I, "Nick, I wish you would just tell me what you want, mm-hmm. so that I can submit to you, or I can argue with you, or whatever I'm going to do." Right. But until you act, until you use your authority, we're all stuck here, right? right. And and Alexi's no pushover. Like she's not like a well. <laughs> if you say it, I'll do it. You know, right. that's not how my wife rolls. My mm-hmm. wife is submissive in a lot of ways. But she's not servile. Right. And so, and I think every woman listening to this and every man too, but especially women in relationship to marriage, if they believe in that wives should submit to their husbands, where does submission become servility? What do you believe about that? Hmm. When is your behavior as a wife rebellious? You should be submitting and you're not. And when is your behavior servile? You shouldn't be submitting and you are. You have to sort that out as a woman in marriage. If you believe that wives should submit to their husbands. Yeah. And I think that that's a much more fruitful way to think through being a wife than saying, well, my husband and I are equal. We're all totally equal. There's no differentiation. We have no hierarchy. Mm-hmm. Okay. So there's no preset hierarchy, mm-hmm. but in a thousand different ways, you and your husband are going to be each other's superiors and inferiors. Now mm-hmm. you have to go through point by point in every situation and sort that out. And then in every situation in your marriage, when we're, in which a decision has to be made, you have to pre-decide who's the superior and then have that superior person make the decision. Male headship of the family just cuts through all that stuff and allows you to have a default dynamic, which makes everything easier because in most cases, the person who makes the decision doesn't make any difference, right? God yeah. makes the man make the decision because he wants the, the man to take primary responsibility for the decision more yeah. than because the man is actually more competent to make the decision. Hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think, you know, do you think that's the only significance to God saying that's no. only to women? No. Okay. No, but I think would... that men are more naturally disagreeable and protective and they're more outward looking and they're less nurturing. Yeah. And so the things that make the things that make our lives together beautiful are also softer. Okay. And more beautiful, but in their beauty, they're often more brittle. Yeah. And I think that part of normal femininity, not all femininity or not all women, right? But normal femininity often is expressed in these ways. And so they're not meant, you know, it, it's, it's hard to paint whilst wielding a sword hmm. and allowing for a distinction between us such that it's even built into our physiology where women have 50% softer skin. They obviously have breasts, which children and everybody find comforting. And there's like all these different ways in which women are soft and inviting, even down to their physiology. And oftentimes when women will embrace a feminine dynamic in their lives, that's going to increase rather than decrease. Now, that doesn't mean that tomboys aren't women or that men that like to paint or be fine artists aren't men. It, It just is that normatively, at least in the role of the family, men take that lead. Right. Yeah. You said you had three corruptions of hierarchical authority. We have tyranny, servility, rebellion, remissness. Yeah. There's, so there's Nothing four total, now. right? Four? So oh, there wow. is there is the um, – the, tyranny is trying to rule over your natural equal or superior, right? Servility is allowing someone who is your equal or inferior to rule over you. Those are both – wrong uses of power. And then remissness is when you don't use the power you should take because you are the natural superior in a situation. And rebellion is when you should submit, but you mm-hmm. instead don't. 
Yeah. And all four of those are sort of like equally sins again of power. Right. What we tend to think of is only tyranny. And when you only think of tyranny, then what happens is you say, well, we need to overthrow it. Right. What that means is, is that, well, maybe, but you might be committing the sin of rebellion. Mm -hmm. How do you know? And the answer is you have to have the discernment of the nature of the hierarchy and power and whether or not you are a natural inferior or not. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But yeah. what, if you but if you look at like cancel culture today, right? You have some people who um, engage in tyranny. They're taking mm -hmm. authority they shouldn't have. But a lot of people are afraid the reputations are going to get ruined or whatever. And so they're actually engaging in servility. They are allowing people who have no right to rule over their language or their thought Mm -hmm. rule over their language and thought and their whole understanding of culture and society and institutions. And they have no business submitting to that. And it's a sin of power to allow, to submit to people who have no right to rule over you. Right. Sure. Similarly, I mean, this is one of the same reasons why African-Americans stood up to some white people and so on. In fact, some people who believe certain critiques of critical race theory and they stand up and they say it, they're trying to be non-servile, which is, which is a virtue. Right. Mm -hmm. And so there, there are people who are like on all kinds of the political spectrum who are trying to embody these rightly. And when they are trying, we should affirm them. So like, even though I don't believe some of the things critical race theory teaches, when people are trying to use insights from critical theories about how hierarchies have gone wrong, and they're mm -hmm. trying to bring about resolutions and reforms in those areas, even though I sometimes I don't agree with the exact tactics that they're using or like what, the exact policy they're after, I want to affirm that they're trying to not be servile. Or remiss. Right. Right. Because that's a virtue. I don't want to attack them for that. Right. And then personally, I want to say, where should I take authority? If I, if I don't do that, I'm being remiss. I don't want to be that. But if I take authority where I shouldn't, I'm being a tyrant. Right. Like thinking about that in my parenting, for example, where am I taking authority with my kids where they actually should have the authority in their own life to do that? Right. That's their job. And they are the superior guider of their own life in that particular thing because they are themselves. Mm -hmm. And for me to be do that when I'm being so like when we call a parent overbearing, what does that mean? Right. Overbearing is when you are being tyrannical in your child's life because you should be letting them rule something in their own life. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so then they fight you because they're not being servile. So sometimes when a kid is is fighting you, you gotta ask yourself the question. Is my kid being rebellious right now or is my kid actually rejecting servility in a way I'm being tyrannical? And if that's true, I need to actually affirm my kid's rebelliousness in this case hmm. and tell them why I am affirming it, hmm. that they're telling me I'm being tyrannical and I accept that. Which I can and I'm imagine willing to step back. incredibly difficult for parents. It's so to do. hard. Oh my gosh, it's so hard. But I've done it with my kids. I've literally done it. I've said, okay, listen, what I, I, you're pushing back on me because you want to rule this thing in your own life because you think you're more competent than me and maybe you're right. Okay. So I'm going to step back and let you take authority in this situation. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they screw up and they realize they should have listened. And I was their natural superior and they should have listened to me and they were rebellious. But sometimes letting them learn that is good. And so yeah. I would say, man, teach your kids these four things, do a family devotion and like, and yeah. like try to, and I would bring this up like, like I, I want to teach my staff this. I want all my staff to know these four things. Mm -hmm. There was a point where somebody I work with today, she was kind of getting talked down to by one of the guys I work with. And she was trying to stand up for herself and she had to make this split second decision. Do I submit to this person's authority or do I push back harder? Mm -hmm. And she decided I need to push back harder to, to take this as servility and I shouldn't to do it.
I have and to so submit. she pushed back harder. Yeah. And when she did it, I stepped in and I was like, okay, I'm going to stop right here. This is correct. Right. You yeah. just behaved in a way that was tyrannical and she's not being servile. This is healthy. Yeah. Right. And the guy was like, the guy was like, that's right. I'm sorry. I was wrong. It was yeah. beautiful. Right. But it's because they're trying to live out their godliness in relationship to power in these ways. And if that's the, what is the hardest areas of godliness is living yeah. rightly in relationship to power is one of the hardest areas of godliness there is. Yeah. Uh, um, to, to close this out, I will say that I, I have to, I have to, I'm, I'm constantly in a battle with, uh, with Aaron, your assistant to submit to her time restraints for this podcast. <laughs> and I'm waiting for that, that call from her where she says, you know what, Andy, you were right. I should have given you more time and I should have <laughs> let you guys go longer. So I hope she listens to this. Yeah. I'm just kidding. Aaron, um, is great. And I appreciate her caring about your time. So yeah. We, we're going to need to do a little bit more on this in the next podcast. We didn't get yeah. through everything we wanted to get through, but we have to wrap yeah. it up because we yeah, other I would love it if you guys, if you're listening to this, man, send emails. Yeah. Like the stuff that occurred to you, send that in. Man, we listen to that stuff. We would love to get emails from you and answer yeah. those questions relative to this in part two. Right. That's true. Right. Yeah. So for the and six of you that have made it to the end, right. man, send in those questions. Retention rates like 2.2% or so. Um, <laughs> all right. Thank you all for listening. Make sure you like, subscribe, share this with your friends. Uh, give us a five-star rating, leave a review, do all that fun stuff, and we'll see you guys in the next one. Goodbye.